before coming back to Kansas, I worked with some churches that are known as Churches of Christ. And some of you are familiar with the Churches of Christ. We're very much related to them. There are differences, and one of the differences that you almost always realize is, oh, the Churches of Christ, they're the ones that don't have pianos. They, they sing all of their music a cappella, or as I like to call it, acapulco. Uh, <laughs> it's a whole different thing. But there are other differences besides just our music style and the way that we worship. Uh, churches of Christ prefer things very plain. They don't like a lot of extra stuff in their buildings. So one of the things you'd notice in a church of Christ is they, they wouldn't have flags up on the stage. They wouldn't have flags in the building. They just, they just don't like things to be any, they don't want any extra stuff. Uh, they also, a church of Christ, very seldom will you see stained glass windows in a church of Christ. Again, they want something very plain. And this might sound strange, but very rarely is there a cross, either in the building or on the building at a church of Christ. They believe that their expression of faith should come within instead of without, that your, that your life ought to be your expression of faith. There's a little story that they tell in the Churches of Christ about a school teacher who had a grade school class, and one day she, she was talking about different religions in the world. And so she told the class, tomorrow, if your family's religious, if you, if you go to you know, church or someplace, uh, I want you to bring a symbol of your religion to school tomorrow. And so one little boy comes back the next day and he says, well, my family's Jewish and this is a star of David. And she says, that's wonderful. Thank you for bringing that. Another little boy comes in and says, well, we go to the Catholic church and this is a crucifix. And she says, thank you. And then a third little boy says, well, we go to the church of Christ. This is a casserole. And I've been with you people long enough to know whether you call yourselves Church of Christ or not, you're casserole people. When it comes to worship, casseroles, food is a big part of who you are and what you do. We, we tie food in with the way that we care for each other, the way we care for other people. Some of you, I know, even have meals prepared in your freezer in advance just in case there's something in the freezer there might be a casserole in there just in case you get word that there's been a death that there's been a, a sickness there's an illness in some family someone's in the hospital you've got food ready to go a couple of weeks ago there was a family in town where the the whole family came down with covid and where did my wife end up? She ended up at the Dollar General getting food for them, getting stuff ready and taking it down and feeding them. That's how we show our worship, but it's how we show our care and our love. Uh, that's how we, we care for other people. It's how we show our hospitality. And it's there in what is probably the most well-known psalm of all, one of the most beloved passages in Scripture, Psalm 23. We're going to be in Psalm 23 today. It's on page 458, if you would like to follow along there. You've heard this psalm. You've heard it over and over again. You've heard it read in some of the most heart-wrenching moments in your life. And I wonder today, whether you read it or whether you can recite it, would you recite it with me as I read it here in just a moment? Could we recite this one together? Psalm 23, I just want to begin with the first four verses, whether you read, whether you recite, whatever version you know it in, if you would, just, just re recite it with me. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1, just going to verse 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to stop right there. I remember as a kid hearing this psalm and wondering in my little childhood mind, what is, where is, where is the valley of the shadow of death? I mean, if I found a map, you know, could I find the, the valley of the shadow of death? What's the topography like in the valley of the shadow of death? And in my, in my childhood imagination, and honestly in my adult imagination also, I imagine that the valley of the shadow of death is a deep valley. It is cut very deep. It is dark. There are trees that overgrow it. The trees have thorns, and they are so thick that the sunlight cannot penetrate and get into that valley. That's how I pictured the valley of the shadow of death. But that, that valley is not a physical place. That valley is a channel that is cut through your heart. When life falls apart, when all of your plans have turned to ash, you are there in that valley, and you feel so alone in that place. And yet the promise here in the psalm is that you are never alone in that valley. It's been 29 years, Trish, 29 years since Mike Guthridge died. Mike was a kid at our first church, 15-year-old boy, one of the most fun. We would go fishing. We would go out to eat together. He was just a blast. And just a few days before the beginning of the school year, Mike and another young man were killed in a very tragic car accident. I was a young preacher in that community. I was still new. I was very green. I was there. I was there on that road where he was killed when we told his father what happened. And I was there in his grandparents' home when he and his sister, when his sister and I went to their house to tell them what had happened. I was there at the house as friends and neighbors and family came together and mourned together right after that event. And I stood there as a young preacher and I felt completely inadequate and completely worthless. So what did I do? I did the one thing I knew I had to do. I got in my truck and went to the convenience store and I bought lunch meat, bread, cheese, chips, and sodas. And I brought them back and I spread them out on the table because that's what you do in that moment. How do you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Well, you walk slowly. It's going to take a while to get through it. You walk together, and you bring food. You bring food in that valley. The Word of God says so. And the last two verses of this beloved psalm are all about the healing power of hospitality. You can't read the first verse without hearing the confidence that David writes this psalm with. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Not, well, I, I hope the Lord is my shepherd. It sure would be nice if God met all my needs. No, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There is an assurance of who God is. He is the shepherd. That is what he does. He shepherds his people. And David, David wrote these words because, first of all, that had been his experience as a shepherd. He was a shepherd. He knew what it meant to care for a flock. And so he extended what he was able to do as a, little, as a little kid, what he was able to do as a kid, to what he knew of the awesome power of God and of his care 
for his people. There are a lot of people in your life whose understanding of God's care does not begin with Psalm 23. It begins with you. It begins with their friend who loves them and who also loves Jesus and who, when their life falls apart, you show up with a casserole. You're there with food. You're there to care for them. They know that God loves because they know your love. They know that God cares because they know your care. John chapter 10, Jesus plays off of this psalm. And in John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And in verse 4, he says, My sheep know my voice. He is your shepherd because of the way that you trust him. You hear his voice. You trust him. You know him. You follow him. But there are others in your life who will only know that God is shepherd, who only, will only know that God welcomes them because of the way that you welcome them. It's been 12 years since our sister-in-law Lisa passed away, Trisha's brother's wife. A very sudden death, a very sudden young death. She passed away uh, leaving a husband and leaving four young children. And, and I remember what, what struck me during that grieving, that initial grieving process, was the love and care that was poured out on his family by his community and, and by his church. We were there the morning of the funeral at the house getting ready to leave when there came a knock at the door and my brother-in-law, Trisha's brother Chris, he goes to the door and he says, thank you, talks a little bit, and then he says, I'll be back in a few minutes, and he disappeared. And I, I said, where did you go? He says, when he came back, I said, where did you go? He said, well, they brought us, they brought us a lasagna. And uh, he said, we ran out of room in our freezer, so we're using our neighbor's freezer over on this side, and we're also using our neighbor's freezer over on that side. That was July. That November, our family got together for Thanksgiving. And in addition to turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and ham, Chris comes walking in with a lasagna that he had just heated up. Because that community not only blessed them in that tragic moment when they were going through that valley of the shadow of death, they gave them the strength to stand. They gave his family the strength to recover and the strength to heal. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. If you've been to very many of the funerals I do, you've heard me talk about that verse. He restores my soul. The image is literally, he sets me back up on his feet. Shepherds have a, a lot of work to do watching a flock. Not only do they have to watch out for the wolves that'll come and, and steal the sheep, not only do they have to watch out for those sheep that'll run off and get lost, they also have to watch for sheep that get knocked off their feet. When a sheep is full of wool, when it's laden with wool, if it falls over, very often it can't get back up on its feet. It's kind of like a turtle. And it will lay there on its back and kick and kick and stress itself out and get so worked up that sometimes, sometimes the sheep dies. And so in, 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 not just watching out for enemies, not just watching out for those that run off, the shepherd has to watch out for the sheep that gets down on his back and can't get back up on his feet. The shepherd goes and finds the sheep. He rolls it over on its side. He starts to pet the sheep. He talks to the sheep because the sheep knows his voice, right? He, he pets the sheep. He restores circulation to the legs. And after a while, the shepherd can pick the sheep up and he can set it back on its feet and it can run off with the rest of of the flock. He restores my soul. That's the image of that. 
There are people in your life who will only know the touch of the shepherd because they know your touch. They will only know that he restores their soul because you've restored their soul. You extend that kind of healing in the way you welcome, in the way you care for others. And as we point people to the shepherd, we see that hospitality, hospitality is how we extend God's hand to the hurting. The last two verses of Psalm 23 are a declaration of how God welcomes those who are walking through that valley of the shadow of death. And if I picture the valley of the shadow of death as a dark place, as an oppressive place, the table that's mentioned in these verses, I picture it as long, it is wooden, it is filled with people, it is filled with bowls of food, and they are passing them back and forth. They are filling plates, they are laughing, they are overcome with joy. You know these words, you've heard them many times, so read or recite them with me, verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There are three promises there in verse 5. Three promises in verse 5 that the shepherd extends to the hurting, but they are also promises that you've extended to people who are hurting. You've extended these promises in the way that you care. There's the promise of refuge. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, not just a table, but in the presence of my enemies, it is a table in full acknowledgement that all is not right in my world right now. That there are enemies, that death is an enemy, that disease is an enemy, that addiction is an enemy, divorce and separation are enemies. It, it is a table that acknowledges the existence of both cancer and COVID. The guest is invited and told that they have a place at the table. The second, they're invited to be refreshed. The second promise, they're invited to be refreshed. You anoint my head with oil. Now this seems a little strange to us in our culture, in our world, but in that dry and arid culture where there is no air conditioning and where the wind blows when you would walk to someone's house, by the time you got there, your head is hot. And the, 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 the hot, the, the heat from the sun has baked your skull. It has, it has ruined your hair. And so the host would pour perfumed oil over your head. And it would cool your head. It would refresh you. It was their way of saying the heat is off here. The heat is off you now. The stress is melting away. Be refreshed and know that you are welcomed. And then the third promise in verse 5, he says, My cup overflows. It's the promise of rest. My cup overflows. There were no hotels in that world. They didn't have hotels back then. But they had hospitality laws. You were required by social agreement to take care of travelers. And if someone came to your house and they needed a meal, you were required to provide for them. There were hospitality laws. But there were also social customs that grew up around those hospitality laws. And one of them was that you would pour a cup of wine, and when that cup of wine was empty, they had to leave. You know, I've fulfilled my duty, I've done the right thing, now get out, keep going. But if the host were to pour the cup of wine until it overflowed and ran down onto the table, the social custom of the day said that meant 
that you can stay as long as you like. Rest, relax. My home is your home. You don't have to leave. What I have is yours. Stay as long as you want. Stay away. Stay here away from that valley, away from the pain. Rest, relax, and find refuge. Stay as long as you like. John chapter 14, verse 2. Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. That's Jesus' description of heaven. And what is his description of heaven? If you read those pas that passage, John 14, his description of heaven is it's a place of refuge. I go to prepare a place for you. It is a place of refreshment. It is a place to rest. For a lot of people around you, a lot of your friends, a lot of the people you encounter, the only understanding they have of the real heaven, the only understanding they have of the real heaven, not the heaven in movies, not the heaven in TV shows, not the heaven in the cartoons that we like to share, the only understanding they have of the real heaven is the, comes from the care that you extend to them, the hospitality that you offer them, the room that you make in, their, in your life for them. Hospitality is how we extend God's hand to the hurting. And verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You hear the tense in that sentence, right? For, for the grammar nerds among us, it is a perfect tense. It is future perfect, in fact. It means what is happening now will continue to happen and it will never stop happening. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness will follow me. Goodness. It's that same word from Genesis chapter 1. We looked at that a month ago. Genesis chapter 1, at the end of, of almost every day of creation, at the end of all of creation, God says it is good. It is that, st that perfect state with which God created. You bring that to people. And then mercy it's that love we talked about a few weeks ago, that love of God, that active love that we really don't have one word to define. We have to use a whole bunch of words. Sometimes we call it steadfast love. Sometimes we call it loving kindness. Sometimes we simply call it kindness. It is the kind of love that does something for someone else. And David is assured that because he trusts God, goodness and kindness will never leave his experience. There is somebody in your life that does not have that assurance. They don't have that assurance. There is no future perfect for them. There is only future terrifying for them. They, they can only imagine a future alone, a future forgotten, a future abandoned. And you have the gift, you have the ability to bring them refuge, to bring them a place to relax, a place to be refreshed. And those gifts may look, <laughs> they may look like a casserole that you pulled out of your freezer. They may look like coffee. They may look like conversation. They may look like a frozen lasagna. God's greatest promises are wrapped up in the way that you show hospitality. Walk with them through that valley and bring them to that table. And today we come to this table and we remind ourselves of what Jesus did so that we might know 
that in his father's house there are many rooms, maybe even many mansions for a few of you. But in the father's house there are many rooms. To bring us that promise, it cost Jesus dearly. And today we remember that. We take him into ourselves and we remind ourselves that we now carry that promise to others. There are people who need to know the love and care of God and they're, they just might find it first in the way we love them and we show them hospitality. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing Amazing Grace and then we'll take together. Would you pray with me? And thank you, Father, for every, every table that has pointed us to your table, for every conversation, so many of them fun, so many of them difficult, but every one that has pointed us to you. And we come today remembering that table in the upper room where your son poured out his life for us and told us to do this in remembrance of him. It's not just about the cup. It's not just about the bread. It's about the love. And so I pray that as we see those in need, whatever the physical need is, whatever the challenge is, whatever, the, whatever is in that valley of the shadow of death that has them terrified, I pray we'll have the strength to come alongside them and bring them what you've brought, what you've brought us, the hope and the peace that we know through your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.